Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, May 31st, we are studying Acts chapter 13, verses 13 to 41. Paul and Barnabas leave Cyprus and make their way to Pisidian Antioch, where Paul preaches the gospel at a Jewish synagogue. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Great to be with you this morning, Pastor Apple. Wonderful to work through this section of Scripture with you and with those who are listening. As we get started this morning, let's talk a little context. We are in the middle of Paul's first missionary journey. What do we need to know about the context as we look at this section today? Well, it's, it's a, ge- a geographical issue, first of all. They've moved across the northern, northeastern Mediterranean from from Syrian Antioch and over to the island of Cyprus. Now they move north and touch down into what we call modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and stay pretty much not so far in. There will later journeys will take them much more across an expansive area, but they're pretty far in the south, and it's not a long journey. I guess I, I did a little playing with the scale on on the maps in the Lutheran Study Bible, it might be a total of this whole journey of maybe 1,500 miles, which, you know, back in the day when you had to walk it, it's it's a little bit more than than hopping in your your vehicle or or catching a flight or even a a fast sailing boat. But so so they're traveling and they're going to new places. But but one of the things we have to wonder about is uh, two factors of how... Judaism has spread out because of issues that go back centuries, sometimes called the dispersion or the diaspora, and as well as sort of the wonderful wondering about Pentecost, because Acts chapter Mm -hmm. 2 tells us that people from all over the Mediterranean basin have gathered as Pentecost pilgrims into Jerusalem. They heard the gospel. They didn't stay uh, some of them did, but they went back to their homes, and some of them went to North Africa, and some of them went east into parts of uh, the Middle East countries we might know as Iran and Iraq now, and some went up into Greece, and some went up into Asia Minor. So how many of the people who are in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, how many of them have, first of all, they are mostly Jews. We'll talk about that in just a moment, that there are proselytes or God-fearers there. But how many of them have maybe heard Peter's sermon in, Pente- at, in Jerusalem at Pentecost or heard someone who heard it? And, and now Paul comes to, to deliver the gospel in, in proclamation to them. So there's some kind of chronological and, and geographical context. I, I always wonder, too, so we are in the church year 
five, six days from ascension, which was last Thursday, and ascension, of course, where, where Jesus tells the disciples that they will be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and, and that uh, Pentecost is around the corner. This next Sunday will be the Pentecost festival, so I just spoke of that and that chronology, but but here we have an opportunity to see how the Holy Spirit is working post-Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit is using Paul and his companions. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, who these, who these people are as they, as they travel as missionaries and teachers and proclaimers, servants of the word. You mentioned the the context in which we find ourselves in the church here and the chronology of, of Ascension, just having celebrated that Pentecost coming up. I was looking a little bit in Dr. Andrew Steinman's book, uh, From Abraham to Paul, a biblical chronology in which he lays out a, a, a proposed timeline for these things. And the way that he dates these events, he has Pentecost happening in late May of the year 33, and he puts Paul and Barnabas's arrival in Pisidian Antioch in the spring of 46. So just about 13 years or so has elapsed since the day of Pentecost in the chronology of Acts. Paul and Barnabas arrive with the gospel there. Although, as you said, it is very, it is very possible that some of the people had heard Peter's sermon and are going to be familiar with what Paul will proclaim to their proclaim to them there in Pisidian Antioch. So the majority of our text is Paul's sermon. I'm going to read just up to before we get to his sermon, just so we get some of that geography down and some of that context. So this is Acts 13, beginning at verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from, from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the ruler of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And then Paul will preach after that. We'll pause there. That takes us just through verse 15. Help us with this context we get in those first couple of verses from St. Luke. Well, if we back up, and, and yesterday, those who were listening or participating in the study yesterday would have heard a little bit more, some other people who are named at the beginning of chapter 13. I'm not going to list all of them, but, but it does have this significant verse in uh, verse 2 of chapter 13. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And... They set out. They set out. They they go from uh, they go across the northern Mediterranean at least for a time. They spent some time on Cyprus, and now they're up into Asia Minor. And it just it does say Paul as we began our section. Paul and his companions, and John left them. This is John Mark, and we we're not going to go down that to pursue that. But but there are some challenges and some reasons, and and John Mark returns returns to Jerusalem. But the other thing to notice is that this is the first time that Luke calls Saul Paul. In the first part of the chapter, he's still Saul. And now when he begins to proclaim, he is Paul and he takes prominence. Now, I, I think it would be unfair to say that that's a, uh, a matter of ranking in any way, that somehow Barnabas, the encourager, has to be has to play second chair in the orchestra at this point. 
but it does emphasize that that Paul, who who was called on the Damascus Road to to share this good news with Gentiles, that Paul is given is given a greater voice and place, and this becomes his his first sermon. Up to this point in the Book of Acts, we've had Peter uh, preaching or speaking. We could we could debate, and maybe you have already with some of your other with some of your other uh, Bible studies. Are these speeches or are these sermons? But but there are times when Peter, there's Stephen, of course, in Acts chapter 7. But beginning in chapter 13, now it's Paul. And this is the first of 10, if you count different conversations, which are not necessarily public sermons uh, at the Areopagus in, in Athens, for example. But there are other times when he is speaking to different groups of people. This is the very first one. So Paul is named now, given the first voice, and Paul, not not Saul. Hmm. Now, what about this? They go to the synagogue there in Pisidian Antioch. What's the, the context in which the, Paul will pr- preach this first sermon that's recorded for us in Acts? The synagogue is, is where uh, the Jewish males particularly gather. And, and we find out some interesting things because we also hear that as Paul will address them, that there are God-fearers there. Uh, for those who are familiar with the Lutheran Study Bible, I just call to your attention that there are some really helpful notes between the Old and the New Testaments. And on pages 1556 and 1557, it does have some comments even about the difference between proselytes and God-fearers. And but within the synagogue are these are these men. It is the custom to gather at the synagogue, and it was Jesus' custom. Uh, we hear that we hear that in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, that Jesus goes to the synagogue and is given the opportunity to be, as maybe you heard me say at some point when when you were a younger man here at Crown of Life, that that he became the lay reader that one time, and they give him the scroll with Isaiah sixty one on it. And he reads and says, today the scripture is fulfilled in, in your hearing. It's very likely that Paul and Barnabas and whoever else was there, they're, they're simply there to hear God's word proclaimed. They're not presumptuous that, that they're going to be the ones, that they're going to be the ones who end up addressing the synagogue. But that's the opportunity, that's the opportunity that they are, that they are actually given. Uh, it is it is quite interesting this practice that a synagogue ruler and from some of my reading and remembering uh, these were not priests these were not rabbis technically they were lay people who were leading a synagogue because it may have been assembly of completely lay men and and women but mostly it's going to be lay men at this time jewish men and they they give someone an opportunity to say something, and this was not unusual, but but for these guests to be given to be given that opportunity, and whether or not they are using the the prescribed texts for the day, that's something we could scratch our heads and wonder and wonder about. Uh, one of my one of my sources, some background material that I said, it's it's likely that uh, it's Isaiah one and Deuteronomy one that are at least implied in the message that that Paul delivers. And as is the custom in in many churches, not just Lutheran churches, you and I don't decide what gets read on a Sunday morning. Uh, Those decisions have been made by other 
other people and go back centuries and centuries. And as I like to remind people here at Crown of Life, it's really a good protection from, from your pastor just choosing all his favorites over and over again. And so we read a, a, a vast array of scriptures. They read from the law and the prophets. Of course, there's, they're Jews. They, they don't have the revealed word of God yet as Christians that we call the New Testament. But they're reading, they read God's word. They read it. They hear it. They hear it explained. And that's the privilege and the invitation that the rulers uh, of the synagogue send a message and say, brothers, if you have a word of encouragement, a nice, nice little pun there with Barnabas being uh, the son of encouragement, uh, say it. And Paul stands up. He does the Roman thing, not the Jewish thing, the, to sit to instruct his Jewish, to stand as Roman. But he does so, uh, motions with his hand, whether he's asking them to be quiet, I don't know, whether the service is over and not that the postlude is playing, but people are starting to visit a little bit more. And, and he says, uh, pay attention a little bit here and let me let me say something to you. So I'll hand it back to you, Pastor Apple, to continue here. So he, he begins his sermon then in verse 16. And you, you mentioned when I was a younger man at Crown of Life. And I, I imagine that at some point while I was there during confirmation, you had me write sermon notes or some sort of sermon summary. So let's, I'm going to give that back to you right now. Can you give me the sermon the sermon summary version of what we're going to hear Paul preach in Acts 13? Sure, sure. He's going to say this. He's going to say, listen to the story that you know. Listen to the story of Israel. And, and remember how God was at work in that. But see where that story was leading. That story was leading to a certain person. You might think it was David. It's the son of David. And in the son of David all the promises of God are fulfilled. Is that a, is that succinct enough? That works. That works. Yeah. Let's, let's hear how Paul gets there in the sermon. So we're picking the text back up again. Acts 13, 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. 
And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. That's the end of Paul's sermon in Pisidian Antioch. That takes us through Acts 13, verse 41. So, Pastor Barz, a lot here. As you said, we, we move, or Paul moves in the history, beginning with Israel going up to David, and that's then where he brings us to Jesus. So, get us going in that first section, about verses 16 to, to 23 or so seems to be where there's that break in bringing in Jesus. So he begins by addressing the men of Israel. He will use some other names, a little bit ways of, different ways of addressing them later on. And you who fear God, I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, the distinction and the, maybe the categories. A God-fearer is a Gentile who is affirming that the God of Israel is the true God, but not yet fully converted, basically meaning he's not been circumcised. Now, a little bit later on in in Acts, you're going to discover and discuss what the church council decides to do in Jerusalem with the Gentiles who are hearing the gospel. But but that's the God-fearer. And then the proselyte is, is another step. So it's a convert, not only who has been circumcised, perhaps a ritual baptism, not the baptism commanded by Jesus to his to disciples to go and make make disciples of all nations, but but still a ritual a ritual washing, and they are more bound to the Jewish to the Jewish laws of of purification. So in the synagogue here in Pisidian Antioch, some miles from Jerusalem, there are there are both of these. There are at least God fearers, but there are very likely they're very likely proselytes. And and he takes all of them back, assuming that there is the basic knowledge of the story of God's choosing of his people. You and I know how important it is to focus on who who is the speaker and who is the doer, who's the subject of the sentence. And I think over and over again, as Paul delivers this sermon, it's very clear, God chose. God, with an uplifted arm, led them. God put up with them. God destroyed, or after destroying, he gave them the land. And then there's some other transitions. So there's things that God is doing, has done, historically recorded, and, and it's interesting when the when the book of Exodus and, and Deuteronomy talks about the story, even on to, to Joshua, that that the nations are aware of what's happening mm. with this with this nation, with this 
rather puny, un, unexceptional nation that, that God is working through them. But he takes them back. He takes them back to Egypt. He doesn't take them back to Abraham. He doesn't take them to Jacob and all the other things. But, but he made this people great. He did, not, he did not forget his people, even though they were under the yoke of slavery, it, uh, under, under, under the pharaohs. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. Literally, that happens when Moses lifts his arms mm. to part the sea. And even though it's, it's really Yahweh's uplifted arm that is acting in all these ways, but I find it interesting that there's, there's at least an illusion. There's at least an illusion for that. He leads them and keeps them. He keeps them in the wilderness. And I think in the, in the, in the wilderness, there's an uplifted arm. There's a, there's, there's an uplifted arm that says, I'm with you with the cloud by day and the fire and the fire by night. There's, there's the uplifted arm of the manna, of the what is it bread and the quail and the, and the water. And there's, there's the, the uplifted arm of, of what they realize after 40 years that their clothes didn't wear out or their sandals fall apart. And, and there's the uplifted arm of, uh, of the damming up of the damming up of the Jordan River. He parted the sea, he dammed up the Jordan as they entered the promised land. But in all of this, God chose, he elected, God made great, God led them, God nurtured them, God destroyed, God gave them the land as, a, as an inheritance. He gave it to them. I'm going to add a little bit here in some of my reading, I, I found something that either I had not heard before or didn't remember hearing before. This, this one phrase in verse 18, he put up with them in the wilderness. That, that is so apt of a description of, of, how, of how God took care of his people. But, but one of these old writers, and, and you know the name, it's, it's Lenski, Lenski wrote years ago about this, that he suggests that, that that Greek could actually be a slightly different word, and, and that it means he cared for them as a tender father, which, which I find intriguing, and, and yet they're not contradictory, are they? Right. Uh, to, to, be this, to be this caring father is is sometimes to put up with your children. And, and so, so I don't, I'm, I'm just suggesting to those who are listening and sitting with us this morning that, that maybe it's one of those, one of those delightful both ands, not either ors, that, that he's, he's the father who, who tenderly cares for his children and, oh goodness, puts up with them as well. That's right. The, the ESV does have a, a note at the bottom that says some manuscripts could could be translated he carried and so and i think that that fits and i appreciate that note uh from from dr lenski because i do think that that notion of god carrying his people and and being a tender father to them fits very well with the general tone of paul's sermon here especially at the outset that especially when you compare this to stephen's sermon before the sanhedrin in acts chapter 7 he very much emphasizes the rebellion of the people of israel paul is much more emphasizing the way god cares for the people of israel throughout their history absolutely so he takes them into the land he gives them some chronology some 450 years and 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 actually if if you Keep working out the keep working out the chronology. It ends up being about another 450 years until David shows up. So it's just an interesting little little parallel there. But he gives them judges. He gives them deliverers. 
that's those are lots of interesting interesting stories in the Old Testament. And Samuel the prophet, the one who speaks out the word. Just always important to emphasize that prophets are not predictors of the future primarily. They're the ones who deliver who deliver the word of the Lord. They ask for a king, and and he gave them Saul. Now that's that's just a little bit of an interesting thing too. How Paul's language is. He gave them Saul, but when we continue in verse 22, he raised up David. Hmm. It's, it's important that, that he chooses David in a different way and for a different role, the unexpected one, not the strong, good-looking, capable one, but this young son of Jesse. He raises up the shepherd, the shepherd boy, to be their king. And this is where we get the transition in Paul's sermon, how he how he leads up to David, but he's not going to go from David to Solomon and, and Hezekiah and the exile and, and all kinds of things, but he uses this as his as his turning point and to to make uh, to reveal that it's David who becomes the the ancestor more than the ancestor, the 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 promised one who leads to a greater promised one, David, the son of Jesse, a man after or according to my heart to do my will of this man's offspring. God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Now, I think those who are listening in the synagogue are a little bit surprised by this because because maybe he expected him to spend a little more time talking about David or or the people who followed David. Instead, he jumps from David to the son of David, the the greater the greater son of David. Hmm. Yeah, and and in that, I mean that what a what a of course what a brilliant move by Paul in the way that he preaches and uses David then as the jumping point to preach Jesus and what he has done. And we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Acts chapter 13 with Pastor Mark Bars. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, May 31st. We are studying Acts chapter 13, verses 13 to 41 with Pastor Mark Bars. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we left off where Paul makes his turn in the sermon and he uses David as the jumping point. Why Why David? What is the connection between Jesus and David that's so significant here in, for Paul and elsewhere in the New, New Testament? I'm pretty sure many of those listening are, are pondering that themselves and maybe saying, son of David, son of David, that, 
I hear that, don't I? I hear that. And the answer is, yes, you do hear that. You hear that a number of times, uh, particularly in what we call the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 1, verse 1 begins this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then Luke's gospel in chapter 3, interesting that the chronology is placed differently, but the son of Malaya, the son of Manah, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, once more. So we hear, we hear his identity, we hear his connection with those who have come before him that will be a greater, a greater son. We'll hear that in the psalm verses that, that Paul will use later on. It is, it is also Mary who hears this, that in Luke chapter 1, that this promised one given to her, that, that she will be the God-bearer. He will be great and will call the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So the father David becomes lesser than the one who gets that throne, who is the greater one, as the book of Revelation will tell us, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Joseph, when, when he is told that what Mary told you is exactly true, the angel says to him, take this woman home as your wife, because Joseph, son of David, mm -hmm. yourself, why do they go to Bethlehem, to the house of David? Because, because they are the house and line of David for the, for the birth of the Messiah. That's not, that's not haphazard. That's not just some odd coincidence. It's, it's to connect him with that line, with that lineage. But then we hear in the Gospels, he's addressed many times as the son of David. It's a messianic title. They, uh, even, even whether it's a blind man or, or a Canaanite woman, who calls, him, who calls him the son of David, the people who are questioning, this is Matthew chapter 12, can this be the son of David? They know that, that when that language is used and when they use it, they're saying, is this, is this the Messiah? And on Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday, when, when, the crowds, when the crowds shout their praise to him, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Finally, Jesus himself will use this in some dialogue during Holy Week when he says to the Pharisees, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. So the Jews who are listening, the God-fearers as well in Pisidian Antioch, they, they don't know all those things that have happened, even, you know, what are they, 13 years, 13 years before, but they know the messianic link, they know the title, they know, they know the identity. Hmm. I'm a little surprised Paul didn't bring in Psalm 110. You mentioned Jesus' own quote, quote there from the Gospels. It's, it's a, I'm surprised he didn't, although I do think that you're, there's a reference here, even if he doesn't quote it specifically. So, okay, we've got, we've got the turning point here. Anything more from that first part of Paul's sermon before we move into how he describes the ministry of Jesus? I think this is what happens when, when, when you give me one of these assignments, Pastor <laughs> Apple, is, is, that, is that I read scripture that I've read before, and then I look at something and I think, hmm, what about that? So, right. so I, mentioned, I mentioned before this uplifted arm, and, and yes, there are definitely, that's an a apt description of how God does his work through Moses, but how God does his work to deliver his people from slavery, take them through the wilderness and into the promised land. 
but it also looks ahead in two ways. It looks ahead to the work of Christ, who with uplifted arms, and I'm just going to name some of these that I've jotted down, who, who lifted up his hands in prayer with bread and fish by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and then, and then fed the multitudes, who lifted up his arm to touch uh, this, this beer, this, this carrying device for the widow's son at Nain, who probably lifted up his arm, at least his hand, and pointed up into a tree at Jericho and said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. Who, who lifted up his arms, not, not up, but out to welcome little children and to say, to such belongs of these belongs the kingdom of God. The, the actual description that we have is in Luke chapter 24, Luke, who also writes Acts, that Jesus lifts up his arms and blesses his disciples just before he ascends. But consider this, because this is for those, again, who are listening, how, how often are arms lifted up, particularly by a pastor towards you? An arm is lifted up at the beginning of the divine service when your pastor says, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. An arm is lifted up or maybe lowered, but I like to, I like to remember the, the six, seven man that I baptized that I had to stand on my tiptoes for to, to say, receive the sign of the Holy Cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart when you were marked with the cross at your baptism. When, when the pastor's arm, your pastor's arm is raised, when you are dismissed from the Lord's table, and he says, may this true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in body and soul to life everlasting. When an arm is raised, as maybe our listeners have seen this, and maybe it's been for a loved one, and placed on a casket at, at a cemetery, and maybe it is tracing a cross or making a cross out of, out of dust or sand and yet committing this body to our Lord's care until resurrection day. And of course, hands are lifted in benediction, not only at the close of the divine service, but for me very, very often, almost always in a hospital room, in a nursing home, in, in places where, where I am caring for the souls of, of the people of God and they hear the Lord bless you and keep you and give you peace. So arms are lifted up. Our Lord is lifting up those arms for the good and for the care of his people. And he still lifts those arms up. And, and I think, you know, going forward into Paul's sermon, this is the Jesus he will proclaim is the one whose arms were lifted in blessing. So he, he gives us the ministry of Jesus. And like we heard Peter proclaim in the household of Cornelius, uh, Paul starts the proclamation of the Savior Jesus with the ministry of John. So take us into the way Paul gives us Jesus ministry, beginning with what John preached. Just as John was the, the voice in the wilderness, John was always the, the way preparer. He was, he was the one who must decrease so that, so that the Messiah increases. Just to make sure, uh, those, those who, John who asked in verse 25, what do you suppose that I am? Interesting that it's a what, not a who. What, do, do you think that I am the Messiah? That's a who, of course. But do you think I am the, the what, the son of David, the final one? No, there is one. There is one greater than I. One who will be 
I'm not worthy to be his servant, to do the lowliest servant task, to be the foot washer. And, and lo and behold, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, the Messiah himself, the son of David, Jesus, our Lord, also washes his disciples' feet mm-hmm. as an act of humility and as a sign of care for his, his own disciples. But just as uh, Paul makes a somewhat abrupt transition he does so very clearly in verse 26 and he simply says brothers sons of the family of abraham he actually says men brother sons i mean they don't they don't have the greek in front of them but it's isn't it curious isn't it just interesting <laughs> it's 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 rather rather strong men brother sons of the family of abraham I, i'd like our hearers to be pondering how this language of of connectedness, you know, the son of Jesse, the son of David, the sons of the family of Abraham, and, and what is finally and blessedly and, and ultimately that, that we are declared to be the sons and the daughters of God in his son, Jesus Christ. So, and those of you who fear God once more, the God-fearers, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So we, we, we get in several ways in several ways, we get not, I don't want to say it's unclear language, but it just gets compounded a little bit more. He can say the message of this salvation, and, and yet it's not quite clear what it means to be saved. He will come to that. He will come to that very clearly when he speaks almost at the close of forgiveness and, and freed and being freed. But the message of this salvation, it's the logos, it's the logos, it's, it's the word of the, the one who is the word made flesh. That's, that's the language that Paul uses here. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, and now, now it is, this is what happened. This is what happened to Jesus. This is, this is fulfillment of scripture that, that they will kill the prophets. That Isaiah 53, uh, the one who, who suffers as, as the sheep led to the slaughter. Um, but they rejected him. They did not understand. They did not recognize. And those that are read every Sabbath, uh, the, these post-Easter stories of the disciples on their way to Emmaus, where Jesus walks with them and and opens the scriptures to them, and, and how Jesus himself, in Luke's account of that appearance, on Easter night, that he that he tells them that the law and the prophets have come true. This is what it's all been leading to: is a death and a resurrection, a crucifixion, and an and an open and an empty tomb. But they condemned him, uh, though he was innocent. There was no guilt. The one who was without sin became sin for us. Paul will write to the Corinthians, but Pilate, Pilate compels him compels him to be executed. And when they carry this out, when the Romans carry it out, but it was the it was the the Jews who who manipulated him and who called out and cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They take him down from the tree. The one the one who is lifted up, as Jesus says about himself, he must be lifted up. The one is taken down from the tree and laid in a tomb. And and this is where Whatever they have heard so far, uh, post-Pentecost, uh, those who were there and heard Peter, uh, some who maybe said, I saw the risen Christ, as, as mm. Peter and, the, and other disciples, and Paul will say that about himself as he, as he writes earlier, in, or he speaks earlier in, in, this gospel, or in, this, in this book of Acts. 
but they take him, uh, they, he's laid in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And, and I can't imagine that he went on very quickly. I think he said That's that right. absolutely deliberately. God raised him from the dead. And then I remind our listeners of, of that wonderful section that begins 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, and how, how it names the four, the four important verbs that are part of what Christ ultimately did in, in becoming our Savior, that he was crucified or that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and that he appeared. Mm. And Paul says it here in, in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Antioch, that he appeared to those who had come with him. He didn't just disappear. He, he wasn't raised and, and nobody could find him and say, well, the tomb's empty. He must be gone. He told us that he was going to be raised. They finally came to believe that. But he was appeared. He was seen. He was he touched. He he ate food. He ate food with them. And now we, Paul, includes himself in this, that that we become we become witnesses we become witnesses to the people paul who was who saw him finally on the damascus road becomes one of those witnesses and so verse 32 we bring you the good news it i think we could read that we good news you mm. in in that in that verb uh, we good news you we bring you this good news all that god promised so now you see where i started i started with I started with slavery in Egypt. I started, we went through the wilderness. We came into the promised land. The, the prophets, the judges, the prophets, Saul, David, all that this God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us, their children, sons, daughters, by raising Jesus, by giving him life again. And he quotes, he quotes from, the, from Psalm 2, you are my son today, I have begotten you, but he raised him from the dead. Uh, this coming Saturday, we have a funeral here at Crown of Life. A dear saint. Uh, it was, it was one of those one of those journeys that, for her family, but but for me as well, uh, to to spend time, precious time, with her as death as death grew nearer, and then to to be with with the family as we will be on Saturday to to proclaim this same truth that for the children, those that he has called his sons and his daughters, I point you to what the father has done for his son by raising him from the dead. And this is the promise of the resurrection for Lynn and for all who have died in faith. Yeah. Once again, as we've seen, uh, particularly in Peter's preaching, the importance of Jesus' resurrection for the apostolic proclamation. And and here, you know, you mentioned earlier what the potential scripture readings might have been that day in the synagogue. Paul does begin to bring in his own, regardless of, of what was read. He brings up Psalm 2, as you already mentioned, and then he's going to he's going to bring up, I think it's Isaiah 55 and then Psalm 16. Help us into these next couple Old Testament quotes. And again, how Paul uses them to proclaim the resurrection. He proclaims the resurrection and he and he points out something that is that is absolutely true. I, I just recently had one of our last preschool chapels here at here at Crown of Life, and and it was the Lazarus story. And and we have this. I don't know if you remember this. It was made some years ago. I don't know. You may have been already away at seminary. It's it's this styrofoam rock. <laughs> so so I brought that out. I pulled it out from our storage area over here, and and I and I put that out there. 
And I said, they had to roll the stone away. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and he did, and Lazarus did. But Lazarus died later on. Now, I didn't tell the children that. That wasn't part of the chapel. And so did that widow's son from Nain. And so did that 12-year-old girl in Capernaum. And they died again. And their bodies did see corruption. And, and so will the bodies, so have the bodies of, of all of the saints of God who have died in faith. And yet the one whose body did not see corruption, we've just had the ascension. He ascended with his glorified body and he will come back that what is true for our Lord Jesus will be true for us. And, and this is dramatic news. This is, this is the, the un, unexpected and I, I won't say unbelievable because it is to be believed, but it is, is beyond our human imagining that, that this is the promise of God, that we have more than, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 again, more than forgiveness in this life, but we have the promise we have the promise of of the final and ultimate and eternal resurrection. Yeah, the way Paul uses Psalm 16 is very similar to the way Paul or Peter uses that same psalm in his Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2. Of course, Peter is preaching that in Jerusalem, and I always picture him pointing at David's tomb when he mm. preaches it. Paul doesn't have that luxury in Pisidian right. Antioch, but but the same same idea that look, David's body's in the tomb, Jesus is not. He did not see corruption. So up through up through verse 37, uh, Paul is is laying out this is the the history. This is what happened. And then I think in verse 38, this is where he gets to the for you. And I, I'm pretty sure I had to memorize Acts 13, 38 and 39 at one point for a, a New Testament class at Lutheran High School in San Antonio. And it made me scratch my head at first. But now looking back, like this is these are the verses to memorize. Take us into the for you of Paul's sermon. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Apple. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, the son of David, the promised Messiah, but but this man, humanly, who was who was put on nailed to a cross, whose whose body was placed into a grave, who didn't just make some uh, mysterious mysterious magical appearance. He lived. He sweated. He he cried. He hungered. He he was pierced with nails and spear and thorns. But he was raised from the grave. He was given new life, and his body ha- was not and will not be corrupted. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And is there, is there, you're right, it's the for you. It's, it's the aha moment. What is this about? What is, what does all this mean? What is this leading us to? And, and that's why he continues, I think, in this, this dramatic language. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. What do they know about Paul at this point? What do they know about Saul, the persecutor of the church, the one who could boast and who did boast of all the things that were to his credit, and yet who, and yet who writes in Philippians, who writes that all of these I consider a loss, I consider them rubbish, because there is a greater treasure. There is, there is the great treasure to be freed, to be freed by forgiveness, to be freed from, from the reality and, and, yet, and yet the fear, the fear of the grave that is, that is yet before us, that we would be freed from that and that we could have, we could have confidence that can only come from the spirit 
breathed gift of faith in Christ our Lord. Mm. Now, Paul closes his sermon with a warning, which may, I mean, it's been very, I say, positive so far. There is a warning that he closes with. He quotes from Habakkuk 1, which is maybe not the place I would have thought to go, but that's where he goes. How, how does Paul close his sermon here? Well, it is interesting, isn't it? You're right. <laughs> well, let's just let's just leave it on and leave it up up here on this That's high, right. <laughs> uh, positive positive level. Right. I I want to connect this. I want to connect this to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 is where Yahweh declares, "Behold, I am doing a new thing," and and don't dismiss don't dismiss this as as some still strive to do or would would choose to do that well that's just a story you want to believe and and it's it's it can't possibly be true not just a resurrection but the forgiveness of sins that that an innocent savior died to pay for your sins but yahweh says i do a new thing and and we heard that just several weeks ago on a sunday morning from from revelation chapter 21 i make all things new and and that's that's the newness and and that's and that's the gift now i'm i'm going to i'm going to continue past verse 41 and tell you this i'm going to listen tomorrow because this wasn't in my this wasn't in my assignment but i'm going to tease our listeners right now it, it's so interesting it says in verse 42 that that they begged to hear him on the next sabbath and and then in verse 44 that almost the whole city gathered so so I'm going to tell some more people, and it might not be the whole city, but but I want some more people to con- that that Paul's proclaiming ministry in Antioch, his first his first sermon in the Book of Acts, his first sermon, his first public proclamation of the gospel, that that people begged to come back mm. and and wanted begged him to come back and wanted to hear wanted to hear, and brought their friends and brought their friends to come and see, to, to be Philip to Nathaniel and say, come and see, come and hear. Mm. Yeah. And so the, the beware that he uses at the end of his sermon doesn't scare people off, but the, the word of God actually does have effect and, and more come. And, and yeah, you'll have to listen tomorrow to find out just what the reaction is in Pisidian Antioch to see the, the full rest of the story. Pastor Bars, we got about four minutes here on the morning as we conclude with Paul's sermon in Pisidian Antioch today. Help us to, to wrap things up. Give us the, the good news that Paul preaches. Give it to us today. Well, the first thing I want to say is that where Paul ends is where every sermon that I strive to preach, and I know the same is, is true for you, Pastor Apple, it is, it is about who Jesus Christ is and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, there, the, the narrative of Scripture from, from uh, Joseph, uh, for Joseph and his brothers, um, forgive forgiving his forgiving his brothers and and of course uh, the sacrifices that that happens uh, when Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple to 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 God and listen to heaven your dwelling place and when you hear forgive David crying out in in Psalm in Psalm 51 have mercy on me according to your in your steadfast love. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. 
And and then and then in the Gospels, here's John again. John appeared uh, proclaiming a baptism for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And and Jesus at the in Capernaum, when they let that man down through the roof and, and stuff is falling on their heads. And, and he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And and yes, he speaks the power for him to walk again, but he walks out forgiven. He doesn't just walk out no longer, no longer lame. And interesting, because this is Luke. This is Luke writing, writing the, the book of the book of Acts as well. Luke part two and and how Jesus speaks to his own disciples and and the book of Luke comes to this to this ending that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things you didn't just see a man who did miracles you didn't just listen to interesting parables and and you didn't simply see that he rose from the grave what is it for? It's for the forgiveness of sins and that we are freed. The Israelites were freed from their slavery. The Gentiles are freed from their idolatry. Listen to the book of Ephesians and, and Paul's mystery revealed that Jew and Gentile alike, those who were far off are brought near and, and all of us have peace and we are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Paul, Paul who who was under the slavery of trying to prove himself and make himself worthy, like Luther some, some 1,500 years later. And we, are, and we are freed, and we are set free. We are days from Pentecost, Pastor Apple, and you know what I've done before, and I, and I have a hymn that I'd like to use, and it's an, an anticipation of, of the giving of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to sing, uh, Holy Spirit Ever Dwelling, Hymn number 650. Holy Spirit ever lived dwelling in the holiest realms of light. Holy Spirit ever brooding o'er a world of gloom and night. Holy Spirit ever raising those of earth to thrones on high living life imparting spirit you we praise and magnify the spirit's gift breathing faith and equipping the people of god and you and i and others honored and privileged and humbled to proclaim forgiveness of sins life and salvation May they hear it not only here on Sharper Iron, but every Sunday morning in the churches in which they worship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Pastor Mark Bars is pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us today with Acts chapter 13, verses 13 to 41. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. You're very welcome. Glad to be with you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 13, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.